With one hand, we reach back to the tried and tested principles which have dethroned principalities and powers. And with the other, we reach forward to the purpose, the power of God for a new generation. Revelation chapter 21, for those of you unfamiliar, it is revelation, not revelations. It is only one revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ of Nazareth given to the apostle John, who is the only one of the four gospels that is not synoptic, okay? John's gospel is not synoptic. It was not written contemporarily with the event. It was written decades later as John was then an old man banished 20 miles off the coast of Ephesus on an island called Patmos. It was actually a prison where people were cast. Nothing there but the wild beast to keep John company. And God gave him the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ ever given to mortal man. It is all encapsulated in the book called The Revelation. And most Bibles underneath there some ways say of Jesus Christ. So it is a revelation. So when you hear preachers say, we're going to teach you from the book of Revelations, I don't know what kind of Bible they've got. Amen? But it's the book of Revelation, because there's only one. It's not the revelation of the four-toed beast. It's not the revelation of the Antichrist. It's not the revelation of anything other than Jesus Christ. And when you take that approach in that book, it will read differently, because everything is pointing to him. Amen? Now, this is almost at the close of the book, in the 21st chapter of the book of the Revelation, and it's describing events after the rapture of the church, after the seven years of tribulation, three and a half regular tribulation, three and a half great tribulation, and then the second coming and the millennial reign. So all that's already transpired by the time we get to Revelation chapter number 21. Here's what your Bible says. Then I saw, I love this part, help me Jesus, a new heaven and a new earth. Now it's not talking about the heaven where God is. There are three heavens. The apostle Paul said, I know a man, whether in the flesh or the spirit, I know not such a one caught up into the third heaven. The third heaven is where the throne of God is. The third heaven. In between there's something called the firmament. That's where Satan was cast to, and it's the only thing regarding creation in Genesis 1 and 2 that God did not call good. So all the way back at the creation of everything that is or will ever be, before that, God already knew that Satan would be cast out of heaven, and he would he set up his headquarters in the firmament, which is above the earth's atmosphere and before the throne of God. I saw a new heaven, say a new heaven. 
That's the upper atmosphere of earth. And a new earth. Stomp your feet. Say, this ain't gonna be here forever. Now, when do we see a new heaven and a new earth? We see it after the rapture of the church. We see it after the seven years of the tribulation period. We see it after the thousand years of the millennial reign. When a lion lays down with a lamb and a child puts his hand in the hole of a venomous snake and just picks the thing out and there's no hurt during that thousand years. That's on this earth. This earth will be destroyed after the rapture of the church, after the seven years of tribulation, after Jesus comes again to the earth in his second coming, sets up his millennial kingdom for a thousand years. After that, God's gonna say, okay, I'm tired with this one. And he's gonna make a new one. Woo! He's gonna make a new heaven. Oh, I got some stuff. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of the third heaven, out of heaven from God. It's prepared as a bride, a prepared and adorned for her husband, verse four. And God will wipe away all the tears from their eyes. Get ready to shout. If you even ever heard there was a Jesus, there will be no more death. Neither will there be any more sorrow. Neither will there be any crying. Neither will there be any pain because the former things have passed away. Not gonna be any hospitals, not gonna be any funeral homes, not gonna be any graveyards, not gonna be any more pain. Now, if that verse was not in your Bible, you would never be able to enjoy heaven because you'd be thinking about your son or daughter who are not there, your aunt, uncle who are not there, your nieces and nephews who are not there, your spouse who is not there. You'd never be able to enjoy heaven. Revelation 21, five, then he said to me, write for these words are faithful and true. Now, if he, he had to say faithful and true, you understand because everything he tells you after that's too good to be true. So he knew you wouldn't be able to believe it. Verse seven, he who overcomes, shout that's me, shall inherit all things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. Verse eight, but the fearful, the unbelieving, here's where we get into moral absolutes. The fearful, the unbelieving, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their portion in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Look at me. The Bible does not contradict itself. Your Bible says it's appointed unto men one time to die and after that the judgment. But here your Bible says this is the second death. So how are there two deaths if it's appointed unto man only one time to die? Because the second death is a spiritual death. It is not a physical death. And spiritual death, as we learned with our pristine parents Adam and Eve in the elegant Garden of Eden, that 
is spiritual death. It is not the cessation of life. Life carries on, but it carries on in a fallen and corrupted state. So what he's saying here is you can avoid the second death. I dare you, if you're born again, throw both hands up and shout, I fulfilled my quota. I will not die again. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the One of the seven angels, verse nine, one of the seven angels, somebody say amen. amen. One of the seven angels came to me, meaning John, and said, come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. That's Jesus, verse 10. And he carried me away and showed me that city descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. I wish I had an hour. The glory of God, the manifested tangibility of the very essence of God. Her light, like a most precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as a crystal. We sang an old song. God built that city four square, 1,400 miles square. As wide as it is tall, as tall as it is in breadth, four square, 1,400 miles in each direction. You say, well, how in the world are all the people that are going to go to heaven? And there are a lot of us. God's not coming back for less than he left. <laughs> so from Flagstaff, Arizona to Atlanta, Georgia is 1,400 miles. So you say, even if it is squared, how in the world are we gonna get all the people in there? Well, you don't live there. I wish you'd come to my classes. You don't live there. You go in and out of that city. That's just the city. And believe you me, this is not a dream. This is not a fantasy. This is not a hope so. This is a no so. You can know beyond all doubt that heaven is your eternal home and you can know it today. Verse 12, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates and, on, and at the gates, 12 angels and the gates on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel, Jacob's sons, were written. Next, on the east, three gates. Circle the word east. When you talk about directions, I looked it up. If you ask Wikipedia or you ask Siri or you ask, uh, what's that other one? Google, if you ask any of that, don't do it now, please listen to me. But if you would do that and you typed in direction, the first thing it would say is north. Then it would say south. Then it would say east. Then it would say west. But you can't just read the Bible, you have to read the Bible. 
So there are 12 gates. There are four on each side, uh, three on each side of the four sides. You with me? So there are 12 gates total, but there are only four that can enter by each of those gates, three gates. So three gates on this side, three gates on this side, six, three gates on this side, nine, three gates on this side, but it's four squares, so it's in each direction, north, south, east, west. But that's hard to determine when you're in space. I mean, surely you've seen Star Trek or something, and they take their earthly navigation tools like a compass. Your compass doesn't do any good on the other side of Pluto. It just goes shh, right? But God has got this thing figured out. And he says four square, and it's got four sides on it, north, south, east, and west. Only God doesn't say north, south, east, and west. So you have to pay particular attention when God says something that's contrary to the culture that you've been raised in. And he does it right here. He says three gates on the east. So he begins with the east. Then he goes to the north. Then he goes to the south. Then he goes to the west. You with me? So it's not north, south, east, west. That is, it's east, north, south west east north south west east north south west each of those have three gates apiece so there are 12 gates did i make it simple for you okay so there are 12 gates now of these gates first peter chapter 1 and verse 11 shouts to every one of our hearts today we have abundant entrance say i get to go in the city and I get to go out of the city. Hallelujah. William Booth said, if I had my choice, I would not send you to school. That's strange for a man that was a leader in education in his day. He said, I would not send you to school. I'd send you to hell for five minutes and you'd come back a soul winner. Somebody shout, I'm a soul winner. I'm glad God didn't have to send me to hell, but he will give you a revelation of it. He'll let you know it's a place where the worm never dies. He'll tell you it's a place where there is no light. He'll tell you a that it's a place where there is no floor. He will tell you that it is a place where there is no joy, where there is no hope. He will tell you that it's a place where your nerves become nothing more than strings upon which Satan will play the diabolical tune of hell's unalterable lament, that your veins will become nothing more than highways for the hot feet of pain to travel. He will tell you that it is forever and 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 forever. Shall I continue? On the east, there are three gates. The east is mentioned first because that's where the sun breaks meridian horizon at the dawning of every brand new day. That's the birthing place. Say, that's the birthing place. 
It speaks of hope. It speaks of the dawn of a brand new life where there is no yesterday. There is only a tomorrow. There is no past. There is only a future. Somebody shout, thank God for the Eastern gates. The Eastern gates symbolize the access of those who are young. Once they pass the age of accountability where they know the difference between wrong and right, at that point, God swings those three gates open to them. They're open to them right now. You say, why is that so important? Because the majority, 50% of the people that are serving Jesus today accepted him before they were 10 years old. 50% before 10 years old. 50% before 10 years old. Somebody that knows a child between the ages of 10 and 15, jump up on your feet right now, jump up. You know a child between the ages of 10, or excuse me, the age of accountability and 18 years old. You with me? All right, now wait a minute, 50%. 50% of those children will be serving Jesus 20 years from now if they give their lives to him in that window. Between 10 and 17 years old, 25% come to Jesus. That means 75% of every person on earth that will serve Jesus did so before their 18th birthday. So why does the church spend all its money on young adults? Only 13% of the churches of America have children even as a part of their top three priorities for their church. Why? Because you got to show off preacher. That's what you got. You got an entertainment cult. Where are the children? Where are the children of the people of God? Where are they? Now, I just threw this in yesterday, so get it. Put it up here on the screen for me. 2019 are the newest, the government's so efficient. 2019 are the latest statistics on children under 18 in America who were arrested. So this is the year before COVID, and you know how things have gotten worse since. Watch this. In 2019, there were 61,000 children arrested at school. At school. In 2019, from school, at school children, a quarter of a million had to be referred to law enforcement. School children. This is what, this came from fatherless homes, by the way. 2019, look at this. 653 children were incarcerated in adult prisons, what, every night. 653 children arrested and put in an adult prison 
every single night in this country. What are they doing out at night? Well, I don't know. I can't do nothing with them. Tell you one thing. You got another one? You got another one or no? Okay. That, that ought to get your attention. Yes? I said, does that get your attention? Yes or no? Daniel. Anybody know Daniel? You ever heard of Daniel? Where'd you learn about Daniel? Everybody that learned about Daniel in children's ministry or Sunday school, shout at the top of your lungs. So why do we need children's workers? Why do we need salvation calls for children? Because 75% of the body of Christ comes to Jesus before they're 18 years old. And instead, we're locking them up in adult prison every night. God, I want to preach. If you guys don't get to shouting better and acting like you're not tired on Labor Day, I'm just going to have to get back out on the road. You know him, Daniel. Shout Daniel. Daniel didn't get canceled on social media. Nobody bullied Daniel. They threw him in the lion's den at 14 years of age. Some of you have been in the kingdom 14 years and can't handle your baby's diety not getting changed in the nursery all the time. Daniel in the lion's den. Threw him in there. Daniel reckoned his position. I need a 14-year-old. Well, where's a 14? Well, they may be back yonder. Is any 14-year-olds in here? Run up here, beautiful. Run up here. You're going to be on worldwide television today. Come on. Come on. Boy, you need to play volleyball. If you, you, you do track? I guess, because one of your steps is three of everybody else's. Is she beautiful or what? What's your name? Isabella. Isabella. That's gorgeous. You go here to church? And I go to school. And you go to HPS? It's a privilege to have you here in church and at HPS. We love you very much. Okay, so you're 14. Daniel was your age. They threw him in a den of lions. But he reckoned his position. He knew where he was. He turned his face toward Jerusalem and he offered his prayer to God. He knew how to pray at 14. And then he told one of those lions, come over here. And he laid his head down in the shaggy mane of the lion. <laughs> and slept like a baby all night long. You know why? Because he knew his God. That's enough right there. He knew his God. He didn't know about God. 
he knew his God. And he knew his God was able. Is your God able? I believe he is. Thank you for helping me. Tell her you love her so very much. Give us some 14 year olds like that. I said, give us some 14 year olds like that. Daniel stood up to the king at 14 years of age and said, I'm not about ready to drink your wine. I'm not about ready to bow down to your false God. I'm not about ready to bow my knee to the idolatry of entertainment, to the idolatry of sexualization of children. I'm not about ready to bow my knee to the idolatry of political correctness. I'm not about ready to bow. And the king said, we'll heat this fire seven times hotter than it's ever been heated. Daniel said, go ahead. I know my God is able. Shout unto God. God left three gates for the young, open for them, so they can come in the prime of life before sin, before hell gets their rancid claws into their lives, before hell ruins them with its curses. The next thing he talks about is the northern gates. The north blows cold winds. These are the gates for those in trouble. I've been preaching this gospel nearly 48 years now. And I've been a soul winner since before I was a preacher. Can I tell you some of the easiest places to win somebody to Jesus? In the emergency room. Trouble. At a funeral, because people suddenly become conscious of eternity and their own mortality. In a hospital room, at a deathbed, God leaves three gates wide open and gives us the opportunity to reach people right in the middle of their greatest mess their tragedy, their trial, their great sorrow. How many millions have come to Christ in the middle of tragedy and trouble? Or even at the passing of a child in brokenness Calvary comes into view in tragedy you know there were two crucified next to Jesus in the most ghastly grotesque and gruesome manner one on his left and one on his right. 50% of them hanging in that awful 
sack of death came to Jesus and that same day entered paradise with him. That tells me 50% of your suffering family, 50% of your family's members that are facing a divorce, 50% of those that are abusing drugs, abusing alcohol, abusing prescription medication, that one that's nervous all the time, that one that's always depressed, that one that thought about taking their life, get to them, get to them. They're ready, they're ripe, you can win them in the middle of their tragedy. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I wanna invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, no easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.